This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Siemens, ingenuity for life. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Companies must weigh a number of competing obligations, from profit margins to employee satisfaction to civic duty. In this segment, we explore the strategies CEOs deploy to be successful. Let's listen. Okay, we're back. We weren't really going to leave. We just had to move some stuff. <laughs> okay, so I'm here with a panel to talk about the statement. Um, and this is the best group you could possibly have together. Uh, Kristen Silverberg from, in fact, practically the boss of the Business Roundtable. Um, we Don't have, tell my actual boss. It would tell Josh. <laughs> I, I promote everyone. Um, uh, Daryl Brewster, who's the CEO of the Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose. Thanks. And Jill Schlesinger, who's an author and a business analyst with CBS. Thank you all. Great to be here. Right. Um, okay, so you have to start, since they're kind of yours, right? I mean, you pretty much are the one who put them together. Congratulations. It certainly turned the you know, world on its ear. Um, so tell me, how come you did it? What, why now? And what was sort of the impetus of the, of the, of the statement? Well, I should say um, the CEOs ran this process, which is the way BRT works. Um, the issue really... Start, our discussion really started in 2018 when a number of corporate critics, including your own Stephen Perlstein, um, wrote that our 97 statement on shareholder primacy was the beginning of the end for capitalism. And you know we thought that was an overstatement, but we had some really candid conversations with the critics. We talked to dozens of corporate governance experts. And most importantly, we talked to our own members. And to a person, our member said, shareholder primacy isn't the way that I try to run my company, that of course I want to be generate value for my investors, that's just common sense, um, but I also want to be a good employer, I want to be a good member of my community, and in fact, in order to return value to shareholders, I have to do all those things. And so their basic view was over the long term, the interests of my various stakeholders converge. Right. You got 180 CEOs to do this. How long did it take you to put that together if you had to sort of bracket the, the process? Oh, you know, I, start to finish was maybe a year. It was 183 CEOs in the end. Um, we started out with just some conversations about what we were trying to accomplish, and the CEOs, um, led by Alex Gorski, um, really kind of weighed in on, on the parameters. We did some drafts and circulated, and they edited those. Um, uh, Alex and Jamie described it to the entire membership, um, and they were on board, and so we, um, so we moved ahead. Daryl, you've been a CEO of Krispy Kreme. You also kind of wrangle, you know, other business leaders now, sort of to the cost. Um, does what Christian say ring true to you? And, and, and was there a broader desire to redefine what it means to be? you know, a company and a manager and a, and a steward of uh, these interests. Yeah, I mean, I think the world from, and I think Barb earlier talked about Milton Friedman back in 1970 responding to the 1960s in his statement that the one and only social responsibility of business, quote, within the rules of the game was to increase profits. And I think the rules of the game have changed. You know, 69 of the largest 100 economies in the world are companies. Walmart's, bigger, Walmart's revenue every year is bigger than the GDP of 180 countries. I mean, these are enormous inst institutions, and the responsibility has changed. Uh, and expectations of business have really risen over the last number of years. Uh, business trust is, is higher than that of the government, even higher than media, which is kind of hard to imagine. Uh, but you know, trust is up in business, and those expectations are that business can both make a profit and also contribute in positive ways to society. So in many ways, I think this is a reflection of what companies are thinking about. 
I think particularly big companies, uh, and a lot of smaller companies, entrepreneurial companies are thought about it. And I think the opportunity now is how does that extend to other parts of, of, of the market. But I think this is what a lot of companies have been talking about, having those discussions, and kind of a changing narrative of the role of business in society. I suspect the statement probably helps with credibility also. I think it does. Certainly there's been pushback on different sides. We've heard about that. That's a good part of the discussion and the narrative. And there's action that now needs to be taken, but it's a kind of an interesting step in the right direction. Okay, so mm. you and I have the hard question, Jill. How do we keep track? Well, how do we monitor the progress? Should, is it our job to monitor the progress of, of these companies as they try to keep up with Kirsten's uh, metrics? Or are there metrics? Is it their job? What, how, do you, how do you come uh, at that as a reporter? So from, I'll just play the, let me just be the typecast person as the cynical person who comes from the financial services industry now in media, and um, really came at this and looked at it and said, well, that's nice, but. And I said the same thing, like, how are we going to hold people accountable? And I think that the challenge is that it, it's all well and good to put this out on paper, but the proof is in the pudding and the actions. So the business roundtable comes out, and this, this, these are great values and very wonderful. And then we see a whole bunch of corporate executives trot off to the desert, suck up to Saudi Arabia, try to get a piece of an IPO of a country where they murdered a United States journalist. And that to me was sort of the quintessential moment where I said to myself, well, not sure exactly how this lines up with these principles. And I feel like when I read these principles, I'm all in, but I got to see a little bit more action. But should, are we talking about, and you, anybody can answer sure. this one, should we think of this as a five-year window, a 10-year window, I and mean, when should we start making judgments? And when you, and maybe you're a good person to ask this of, because you probably had a time frame in mind. Look, I think it's a process, um, and I don't think there's a, sort of one-size-fits-all for any company. I think that the kinds of things that Walmart has to do to invest its, in its employees. It's going to be very different from the kinds of things that Bank of America has to do. Um, for me, the bigger picture isn't the, um, you know, isn't the sort of metrics. It's broadly how can we get corporate America around long-term thinking. So the principle, the theory behind the statement, again, was that over the long term, the interests of various stakeholders converge. That if you're going to be a successful company over the long term, you have to have the trust of your customers, you have to invest in your employees, you have to be a good member of your community, and that doing all those things will help you generate more value for shareholders. And so to me, that's the real question. The, the, the tension for our CEOs isn't really between shareholders and employees, the tension is really between short-term and long-termism. But I mean, is it really that? Because if you look at a whole bunch of folks on Wall Street right now who are preparing for a bad bonus season, they are, you're right, it's short-termism, but what they are unwilling to do is say, you know what, we are not doing a reduction in force, we are keeping everybody on board, and the shareholders are gonna to have to take it on the chin. And they don't make that choice, and they have never made that choice. Look, actually, I think we have lots of examples of companies making, so you know, we have one member who made a decision to raise their minimum wage and lost 21 billion in market value overnight. And again, that was a, question, that was a decision that clearly in their long term to keep them competitive on hiring people and it was clearly something that investors punished them for. So to me actually that's the big issue is 
when companies make those kinds of decisions, how do you make sure that investors are bought in, that they are participating in the process? And this, I, th I think it's a fair point. First of all, companies are, like people are going to make mistakes. There's going to be companies who do that. Mm -hmm. I think, though, this statement has really raised a new standard by which you could judge a company and say, hey, that's not consistent with it. I think to expect it to happen overnight is, you know, is... is but what, do you, let me, what did but, you think changed from last year to this year where none of them went to the desert, none of them went to that to Doha in the desert, and this year they went? after yeah. this was released. Again, it was a limited number of companies, and I think we can okay. hold those companies accountable okay. appropriately. I do think the short and long-term piece is big, and in our market, particularly Wall Street, is run, you know, quarterly is long-term, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a daily kind of a, of, of a place. And I think that's where we're gonna need to see some shift. I mean, even if you go back to Milton Friedman, he talked about increasing profits, increasing over time, not just a one-time hit. And I think this notion of focusing in on, on long-term sustainable value versus short-term gains is a big piece. That's going to be a big change for Wall Street. It's starting to happen. I know some of the major investors like you know, Vanguard are changing the way people are being incented. That's going to be a big shift. We know what that's like in our offices are just down the street. It's going to be a big change. It's not going to happen overnight. But I do think this notion of companies sharing their long-term plans, what their purpose and values are, and something that we're doing at CCP, that can provide a context for their short-term behavior. And whether that's an investment into a short-term area, because I'm going to make money over time, Walmart's the great example, right? And they have outperformed the market since they did that. Mark Bertolini at Aetna did the same thing. Brian Cornell at Target, they made short-term decisions that many of the traders hated, mm -hmm. but have turned to be good. In fact, if we move from investing toward investing from sort of short-term trading, that may help us uh, in this whole thing. I, I think there's a lot of evidence, actually, that those companies are going to outperform. And, and to me, this, there's a question of kind of everything in the ecosystem that pressures companies to think about short-termism. I mean, some of it is, is you know, the investors, um, sell-side analysts who are looking at kind of, you know, at looking at, you know, quarterly earnings rather than the big picture. I think the media can play a role. So this sort of breathless coverage of um, quarterly earnings rather than looking at the, you know, company's value over the long term. So to me, there are a lot of things we can bring together. To and I don't think this has to be an either or. Hmm. I think right now the, the either has been all about short term. And I, so I think it's going to take some while to balance out. The you can in the short term is, you know, those are metrics and milestones along your long term uh, approach in your sustainable business plan. Don't stop. <laughs> it's uh, easy, this right? The, this it's easy, that's so, right. This is the best panel I've ever had. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, you, may have seen, Jill, you may have seen this all coming, but is there something that's happened since the, um, since the statement came out uh, that has given you reason for uh, optimism? I mean, it's easy to, you know, oh. there are obviously the, the, the corporate world divides into many camps, and some companies are just ahead of others here, and some are woefully behind. I, I think that it is great to have the 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 long-term goal and aspiration. Um, maybe eight or nine years ago I interviewed Kip Tyndall who is the CEO of the Container Store, like just all-around great guy, and he uh, told me a really funny story. He said, you know, I was with my investment bankers, I was invited to a big conference, and this must have been probably in the 2000s-ish. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, um, they asked, they were sort of running around the room and asking about shareholders and what we do. And he says, well, you know, I've got three constituencies. I've got my shareholders, I have my employees, and I have my customers. And he goes, and I hear you guys all talking about shareholders, but the way I look at it is my employees come first, they do their job really well, my customers are happy, they shop more, my shareholders are happy. And I want to be a good citizen in my town. And he ran, and he was never invited back. 
<laughs> and I think that just the change in, say, 15 right. years yep. is pretty awesome. And um, and I think it's good that it comes from the community. And I think it's great. I'd love to, you know, there are so many things that probably could be on here. And, and so I'm happy that these are here. And I'm here, happy that there are companies like Salesforce that are talking about gender pay equality. I'm happy that there are people like Mark Benioff you know, sort of pushing the needle a little bit. But take up, Daryl, take up Jill's question about what happens when a CEO comes to you and says, this is all great, but, you know, my board and my shareholders are going to kick me out if I don't return a certain profit this year. What do you tell them? Yeah, one of the things we're really encouraging companies to do is to, and actually some of that came from Kip Tindall uh, at the Container Store. He's also leading an initiative now called Conscious Capitalism. And so we see a lot of this activity happening for small companies. So I think the business roundtable is, is, is great to come with large companies. One of the things we really suggest is to be able to sit down and to craft your long-term plan. This is what Larry Fink has asked for at BlackRock. Very few companies have delivered on it thus far. And we've created a platform. So companies will, will have that. We've had several dozen CEOs share their long-term plans. It starts with their corporate purpose their values, the macro system they're going in. And we've gotten those questions from investors. And I will just note that we have, you know, the investor community is not one community. There's a lot of different groups. Some are very focused in on trading, you know, electronically today, not even sure what company they own. And then there's others who are investing for the long haul. We think a lot of the time and attention and communication has been really with a very short-term oriented. They play an important role in liquidity in the market, but maybe overstated in terms of community, uh, corporate communication. So we've really had these companies, dozens of CEOs, representing nearly $3 trillion in, uh, in market cap, have shared plans to investors representing $25 trillion plus big numbers in assets under management. And it's really started to create a dialogue. And we think that's going to be important because this now sets a context and it addresses your significant stakeholders, your material ESG type risks. And it starts to have a dialogue. Now, if you have a tough quarter, Here's why we're, we're having that. You have seven or eight tough quarters in a row, maybe it's time to change the plan or change some other things, but at least to provide some, some runway to do it. Some of the tech companies have done a great job on that, and they've been able to really drive incredible value over time without making money. Now, eventually, I think you have to make money, and then how do you continue to, to, to progress that? But I think there are some tools that are emerging now that can really help companies to, to address that. Kristen, one of the critics of the mission statement was um, the sec Treasury Secretary. I'm not sure he's a critic. He was a skeptic, maybe. I don't want to. Maybe he was a critic. He said it was yeah. simplistic. Um, so, and he said, I think he said he wouldn't have signed it, um, although you weren't asking the Treasury Secretary in that role to sign it. Uh, so, what was he missing, and and what was that about? And. You know, I think there was some um, misunderstanding from the statement. So, when we put it out, we heard, um, you know, there was the high profile criticism from another editorial board, not the Washington Post, that we had put um, shareholders that. below other stakeholders, um, which wasn't true. Actually, we said that if you're going to be a good CEO, you have to be able to do a lot of different things. You can't just generate value for shareholders. You have to do other things as well. Mm -hmm. But of course, we think that it's important to, um, to provide a good return on investment for shareholders. And I think, the, I think Secretary Mnuchin may have been reflecting that point of view. Um, and I think the other point was maybe some idea that this was kind of a nod. One of the criticisms was that this was an attempt to kind of placate criticisms of, you know, critics of capitalism. And of course, that's not true at all. The statement started with mentioning that a free market economy is that, you know, provides economic growth as a prerequisite to broader economic opportunity. So, so I tend to think it's that, that kind of thinking. I want to get each of your thoughts about the, we talked about this with Brian just for a few minutes where I said, you know, uh, capitalism is certainly a lively conversation these days. And someone had, I quoted someone saying that if capitalists don't change it, someone else will. 
Um, your thoughts about that conversation at the moment? Uh, is, it, uh, is, it, is, it, is, is it helping this process? Uh, is it partly perhaps driving this process? Uh, or is it separate? Just, I'd be interested in hearing from all of you on that. Well, I mean, I think that clearly public, the, the public is frustrated with the system. And um, I think this, the roots are in the financial crisis where trust was eroded. And, um, you know, I always like to describe the financial service. Is there a lot of people here from financial services? I, I presume some, a few, anyway. Um, I always like to describe financial services to me is like a, a beloved drunk aunt. <laughs> like, I'm re I, I come from this industry. I've been in it all my life. My first job on Wall Street, I was a trader on the floor of the Commodities Exchange. It's family. Okay, <laughs> it's family. And so when your family misbehaves, you tend to be more critical, right? So when my aunt misbehaves and gets, you know, drunk at Passover, it's embarrassing and horrifying. So when the financial services industry was just so awful in the aftermath of the financial crisis, I think that that really eroded trust for people. I think that there was this sense that, you know, people didn't really understand why banks needed to get bailed out, but people didn't. And that that fomented so much anxiety and so much distrust. And I, I do think this is a good course correct from uh, from that period, and, and, I, and obviously the conversations around um, the people demanding more of, a corp of corporations and the C-suite to be more responsible to the community, to be more responsible to employees, and to not put making money the number one slash only thing we care about. Right. And I never really think they, that was the only thing, but it sure was a big driver. Right. So I, I think it was coming from there. You agree with the cultural shift? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I think that what was that great country song at the time? Uh, they're still driving limos in New York town while the rest of the country is burning down. Mm. Right. I mean, it was that was the kind of the environment we're in. But one of the great parts of capitalism is its ability to flex and to change and to innovate and to come up with new ideas and new thoughts. So I think it is really the responsibility of capitalism, which has developed you know so much of the wealth creation we've had is to evolve as it's gone through and that's why I think that the statement is so so powerful you know I think for too long people were using the Milton Friedman statement to basically justify all sorts of questionable short-term behavior and I think as we have a statement that focuses on sustainable value over time we see money moving into index funds um, and out of some of the, the hedge funds in other areas because they perform better over time and the research is increasingly clear the companies run for the long term they take care of their 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 employees, their customers, their communities, uh, the planet is, is, is well, uh, they outperform. I mean, they, they do better over time. So this is not like a, an either or, this is an and. Right. Do you want to? You know, we, we feel strongly that free markets, economic freedom, capitalism, whatever you call it, um, is the only system that's going to promote economic growth and innovation and competition and all the things that are that we're gonna need in the decades ahead, but obviously it has to be a system that works for everyone, where you have a fair shot that your hard work is gonna get rewarded. And we think that companies have a big role to play in making sure that's true, um, principally by investing in their employees, helping them navigate changes in the economy, investing in their communities. Um, but we'll say government has a role too, um, that that's gotta be part of it. And so part of what we've been doing at Business Roundtable is weighing in on some things that we wouldn't have weighed in on before. So for example, earlier this year, we endorsed an increase in the minimum wage um, 
because we really think that it hasn't been raised in a long time and that that's got to be part of the puzzle. Um, we've endorsed changes and, you know, been calling for changes in the way that um, people get access to financial aid for education to make sure that people have it kind of throughout the course of their career, including mid-career employees who have to go back for training, so things like that. Yeah, I think it's hard to underestimate the extent to which the economic crisis that you talked about and the feeling, broader feeling of inequality mm -hmm. has really shifted the expectations, um, particularly uh, among people who are younger um, in a very short period of time. And, it could, and I think a lot of people missed it, but it's, 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 when you really go looking for it in the polls, it's easy to find. Right. And I, th I think we've seen that that's going to continue here as we Absolutely. see money moving from really to, to more women are going to own more assets in the, and to millennials. Right. And that's going to make sure we have a real big uh, increase. And with our four millennial daughters, I can assure you, a lot of, you know, some money is going their way. Um, and they're just thinking about these issues in some different ways than quick gains. They're looking at, you know, what am I going to be investing in for, the, for a longer term? Brian, I want to just, uh, I think this one's for you, Christian. The, 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 Brian talked a lot about um, a climate. Uh, and this has been a piece of uh, the statement that has gotten a lot of people's attention. Do you guys provide any um, guidance to companies about how to approach that? Because, a, a, and I think perhaps this may have been some of the administration's objection. Uh, they, they read it and they think, oh, this is about climate. Yeah, I mean, companies are tackling in lots of different ways. We've had lots of companies announcing sort of um, endorsing um, the Paris goals, talking about their role and kind of reducing their carbon emissions and also talking collectively about what position we want to take on both um, climate legislation and kind of sustainability. I think this is absolutely going to be at the kind of heart of what our members want to do in ter terms of pursuing their, um, mm. in pursuing the yeah. statement. So I, I, I handed out before we came out here to everybody just a, 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 a copy of this, of the statement because I told them I was going to ask them a question um, about what piece or line or phrase that they thought would be the most either difficult or controversial or you can interpret the question any way you want, challenging for companies to, to meet. Or, and so I thought I'd just, Jill, you go first. You're, you, I'm sure you I never have an opinion. How could you come to me first? Mm -hmm. uh, I, it can just be a few words. You it's know. going to be a few words. Uh, the second bullet point is uh, investing in our employees. This is starting... This starts with compensating them fairly and providing important benefits. It includes supporting them through training and education, developing new skills, rapidly changing world. And the last sentence, we foster diversity and inclusion, dignity and respect. Um, I, I think the employee part is really going to be hard. I think that the, I think that, that all these companies have made huge strides. So I'm a lesbian, I'm out, and I, and I think that the strides that have been made in the last just 10 years are mind-blowing to someone like me who came out 100 years ago. But that said, I still think that the employee piece is incredibly difficult. Employees are the first thing that gets cut in the next downturn. And we still have a really big problem getting women representation on boards and in senior levels and senior management in the C-suite. So I think that's the hugest challenge on this list for me. Daryl? Okay. Good. Right, two things that came out. One is how do we take this purpose of a corporation as a general statement down to the individual company? How can each company have its own purpose that it can really lead and drive on? And I think we're seeing on a number of issues, while it's not perfect, it is businesses who are really leading more so than partisan politicians mm -hmm. on a lot of these issues, Definitely. really really stepping up, climate accord and, and, and uh, 
you know, rights of, of population and the rest. I think the other one is this notion of really aligning the capital markets. In the capital markets, you know, we have laws built in to make, you know, uh, requiring quarterly reporting and all those. Um, the Wall Street piece, it's been set up for many, many years. Mm -hmm. We've lots of re-engineering or over-engineering the financial markets. And I think that's going to have to change that balance. I think that's going to take time. But when you have signees from the two biggest asset owners in the world, BlackRock and Vanguard, who've signed this, that conversation's happening. It's a discussion. And I think it's that focus there on kind of sustainable value over time versus just short-term gains, I think, is, is going to be an important part. I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit for Kristen, because it's not fair to ask her to critique her <laughs> own exactly. stuff. Right. Um, uh, although I'm sure she can do it. So I'll say, uh, what's the, as you look at it now with three months hindsight, what do you think is the biggest lift that you've put at the feet of the people who signed it? And since you've, you know, and what, or alternatively, what is the part that you've seen uh, people rise to the challenge more than, more than you expected? Um, I think the training. I think the training is a place where they're really, oh, where you really. That. Um, Sorry. So, uh, you know, as Jill was saying, one of the things the statement really talked about is that we have this rapidly changing economy and part of the responsibility of employers is to help employees navigate that, which, by the way, is also in their business interest because they're going to mm -hmm, need employees mm -hmm. who are, um, who have a whole new skill set. And I, and that's where I see our CEOs really animated and excited and incredibly creative. Um, and so I, have, I actually have a lot of optimism in that piece of it. Um, these investments, you know, Amazon is investing, you know, $700 million in helping to um, do, sort of teach people how to code. Walmart is training 600,000 people a year through their academies. They're going to be the largest education provider in the country um, before too long. And so, anyway, that's the part where I feel like, you know, I have a kind of a lot, a lot of optimism and enthusiasm about what's ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you guys for coming and listening. This was the best possible briefing you could get on the, on the, on the statement. And we appreciate you uh, coming to hear us. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.